Hey guys, if you can think about how you found this podcast, maybe it's on Instagram or TikTok, maybe someone shared it with you. I don't run ads for the show or have sponsorships, so the only way this grows is through word of mouth. If this was valuable for you in any way, my only ask is if you could share this with someone who you think would help their investing journey or business. Thanks a lot, and let's get to the episode. Welcome back to STR Like the Best. I'm your host, Michael Chang. It is my great pleasure to welcome Ven Pokarski to the show. Ven, thank you for joining us today. How's it going, Michael? Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you back. So some of you guys don't know this, but I broke my elbow. Ven and I had scheduled a podcast about eight weeks ago. And on the way to the podcast, I fell off a bike and broke my elbow. And in the middle of it, Vince, you need to go to the doctor instead of talking to me. So yes. I went to the doctor and elbow's okay now. So glad, Ven, thank you for taking time again to uh, do, this, <laughs> do this again. More than happy, man. <laughs> uh, so why don't, could you start off by just introducing yourself to the audience? Sure. So as he said, my name is Ven Pekarski. I am a short-term rental real estate investor and real estate uh, short-term rental coach. I am heavily tattooed my previous career was in the world of tattooing and we're here to talk about that transition and what i'm doing and how i'm able to break those barriers with my appearance so for folks that are on the podcast that are listening they're listening to this can't see steven you could see the video but steven has quite a nice collection of tattoos and very memorable he's showing his hand <laughs> tattoos which i actually haven't seen so yeah. very cool but before we start then I always ask, you're a short-term rental investor and operator. Mm-hmm. We work together. Yep. What is a memorable short-term rental story that comes to mind for you right now? Okay. So I'm going to talk about what everybody dreads, the dreaded party that takes place. It's something that you can't avoid. It happens. And if somebody hasn't had a party, good for you. But I had a party happen at one of my properties. 300 people showed up to a 1,200-square-foot house. <laughs> and this was my first unit. And it was my first within six months of operating the unit. So I was really thrown into it and had to figure out rapidly what you do in that kind of situation. It was quite an experience. I learned about it three to four days after the fact as well. But that was one of those moments where I had to step up to the plate, get involved with insurance and handle it from start to finish, which is what we all talk about when we operate this kind of business. Long story short, insurance covered everything. It ended up being a positive. We got a brand new deck for free because the party actually took place and we were able to claim it through insurance. So the landlord was actually very happy that it happened. <laughs> and, and I guess how, like, how did you, you know, it, it's great. It was, it was like a good outcome that happened mm-hmm. afterwards, but after it happened, I'm sure the person that owned the property was probably pretty. So was this a property or rental art you were renting yes. or were you managing it? I was doing, it was my very first property and my first one was a rental arbitrage unit. So I had to call the landlord who owned the property. He lived four hours away from where I'm at. And I just had to be honest and say, this is what happened. And this is how we're handling it. And he got on the phone and he understood and he worked with me through it. He didn't get mad because he understood my security measures in place. And yeah, no, I think that's a great point is just being very transparent and upfront yep. when things go wrong with a business yep. partner, like you don't want to be hiding the ball. Because people really value transparency and you build that trust. It's in these hard times actually where you build trust with someone. Yeah. And it's, and he got a new deck out of it. So, yeah, exactly. That's what was the winning thing. He got two decks, the front one and one on the water. <laughs> okay. Thank you, insurance. Yes. So, today I want to talk about 
I want to talk about your path in short-term rentals, right? Sure. You, know, you had a career before, you know, mm-hmm. as folks, as you mentioned before, you're heavily tattooed, like you have face tattoos, yep. neck tattoos. And I come from a very button up background in yep. investment banking in a bank. And just to be honest, like you would never have, it, it would have been very difficult for you to have gotten a job in a bank because there's this, oh, 100%. Uh, there, there's a certain kind of, there's a standard that they have hold. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's a template, right? Standards, but there's a standard or template. There's a standard template that they have everyone go through, and that's what they like, and that's what they're comfortable with. And walk us through that journey a little bit. I guess why so many? Why? So, when was your first tattoo? And you probably how many tattoos do you have? I stopped counting after 83 sessions. <laughs> I have well over probably 150 at this point. Yeah. No. My first tattoo was a, a kanji symbol on my forearm when I was 18, probably two weeks after I turned 18. And I got hooked. Just something about that just flooded as an artist, which is my primary passion is that and creating things into an artistic way. It just, it just connected to me. I came from a very heavily white collar background society. I don't look it, but my first career was a professional concert pianist. And I did that from the ages of eight to about 16. You were a concert pianist? Professional classical concert pianist, yes. <laughs> yeah, you can Google me, look me up. It's very, I'm very, I, I go start contrast. I was homeschooled. And so when I started really coming uh, of age in my teenage years, I found myself in a lot of ways and it wasn't that society. I didn't like how society looked down upon people. And it, I don't know, something in me took it upon myself to pave that path that you can break these barriers and still be a good person. I can look like this and still succeed at whatever I really want to put my mind to. And you can't judge a book by its cover. And that's where it started. Uh, okay. No, you, you, you've taken me aback. Being, for folks that don't know, and not that I'm classically trained or anything, but it's a lot of work to be a classically trained pianist. Like it, it, it is not nothing. Like tell us about how... I assume your parents got you into it and or your caretakers. And then this is something, how did you get on that path and talk about the process and the dedication, the rigor that takes? Yeah. So my mom made a deal. I have an older brother. When he was five years old, my mom made the deal with him that you have to play piano for one year just to try one instrument and just try something. And that was the deal. And me being the younger brother, I want to do what my older brother was doing. So at four, I begged my mom, teach me too. I want to learn too, because he's doing it. It's the cool thing. So I actually learned to read music before English. And as the year went on, we had a natural adaptation to that type of thing. And I think it's just because we're very systematized, organized, mental, repetitive people. We really just jumped into it full swing. I was pulled out of school in second grade to be homeschooled because we were practicing two, three hours a day by the age of seven, eight. When I was nine, 10 years old, it was a consistent four to five hours of practicing piano five, six days a week, every day. And it was my job. And we couldn't do that unless we were homeschooled because traditional school just piled on too much homework after the fact and too many activities and things like that. So that was it. And it became the lifestyle and the discipline. And I had a mentor, a very good mentor from the age of eight on that I would see consistently guide me and help me understand what it is to put hard work into something. Time and consistency delivers results. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I love it. And we're going to talk about how to space <laughs> short-term rentals, but yes, <laughs> you know, 
it, it's music, sports, something, especially we're young. And, and I have a two-year-old. We have another one coming. And mm-hmm. it's very top of mind to me as a father on, not that I want her to be a great golfer, concert pianist, anything like that. I actually don't care what I want. And I care very deeply about is that she can focus on something and do something over and over again, even though she's not seeing immediate results, like just learning that discipline, that self-discipline. And that's actually something like I, my wife and I talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. So talk about that. Like how has that process that the way that you grew up, how has that helped you in your current business today, which we're definitely going to hit on, but how has that helped you in guiding your path to where you are today? It has helped in extreme ways due to the fact that I have been taught from a very early age what delayed gratification is. I understand through hard work, consistency, and time that it is a very tedious and boring and upfront heavy burden to dive into something like short-term rentals, to do crash courses and educate yourself to learn a foreign language, knowing that if I do this for a certain amount of time, one year, two year, three year, four years, by those two, three, four year marks, I'm going to have enough knowledge and experience that it's going to start to hit. Everything's going to start to fall into place. And then the next year after that's going to be even better. And then the year after that's going to be even better. And then that compound effect just hammers home and it just comes into an automated snowball effect. Delayed gratification and self-discipline is the secret sauce to all of this. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree more on the delayed gratification. And I think that's where, uh, my opinion, society really falls short now. It's everything is, I want it now. I want it now. Yep. Kids these days or the younger generation, if they're not two years into work, they're, you know, I have a situation where I have a family member who just started a job and mm. she doesn't like it two months and she wants to do something else. And I'm not being challenged. I'm like, you're in this job for two months, nothing. Yeah. You should be lucky that someone's willing to teach you something. And it's that delayed gratification, that inability to see, allow life to the work to compound. And I think that's where there's such a deficit between where people that are older and younger next to the younger generation, uh, why can't they do hard things for longer and figure yep. it out? Look, not to say that every generation has its own challenges, but. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely something that is, is super like for me, top of mind. Okay. So maybe let's pivot back to short-term rentals. How, like, let's talk about how you started. How did you learn about short-term rentals? What was your first exposure to the space? So my exposure to that was due to the fact that I already jumped into real estate for about a year and a half prior. I started out as a wholesaler kind of when just after COVID started. Um, Sorry. Explain, explain co-seller, a wholesaler to everyone. Wholesaling. Okay. So wholesaling is a a real estate strategy, a very fast paced real estate strategy where you find people with a distressed property, you offer to buy that property at a discounted rate. And then instead of actually purchasing the property, you take that signed contract and you sell that piece of paper to an end buyer. And that person is, can be a flipper, a long-term renter, even a short-term renter, a midterm renter, anybody that wants to hold on to that property and do something else with it. Wholesaling is just collecting a check for brokering a deal. You're like the non-licensed real estate agent at a faster pace. Yeah. Okay. So you basically, you agreed to, you, you find a seller, you, you pay them X, you yep. find a buyer, they pay Y, and then you make the difference between in the middle. Got it. Yeah. Oh, perfect. 
So you were wholesaling it, and how did that lead you to short-term rentals? So wholesaling in, so I'm from state of New York, and this is an attorney state, and it was very difficult to wholesale unless I went virtual. Doing that through COVID was very challenging to figure out how to get my, any, honestly, any sense of bearing and consistency inside of the wholesaling game. I wanted something that I could latch onto, hold onto, and create something after I obtained it. Short-term rental was the highest performer of cash flow. I saw that pretty rapidly. I then learned the quickest barrier to entry was rental arbitrage. It was an extremely affordable barrier of entry. You can do it for less than $10,000, $5,000. You can even do it for free if you're really good or find a great deal. It's very possible. That's all I needed to see. I already knew how to cold call people and it was way easier to talk to a landlord because I was able to go into that conversation colleague to colleague. I was able to go to him and talk about value what I was able to offer to him. I'm not here to sell him anything. I'm not here to take anything from him. I'm here to help him, partner with him, and take it from there. I, and then you hit on a great point. I, and first off, just to explain rental arbitrage. So rental arbitrage is when you rent apartment, when you rent an apartment, you rent any property from a yep. landlord with their express permission to put it onto short-term rental sites like Sublet, Verbo, right? Sublet, right? So you're basically paying them a long-term rent, you're renting it short-term, you're furnishing it, and then you make the difference. That's effectively short rental arbitrage. And it's a powerful strategy because you don't have to buy, a, you don't have to buy the apartment or the house, right? You're just paying the rent. And I think a lot of people get, I think a lot of people get bogged down at this point where they see themselves as below or inferior to the land yeah. property owner. Yep. They come from a position of weakness yes. into these conversations. And look, if you own a property and you're looking for someone, you sense weakness immediately. So if someone's already, it's going to be very hard for you to be like, okay, I'm going to trust this person in my house. I'm going to be yes. there. So having that mindset, when you go in there, calling the call, like we're equals here. Mm-hmm. I have value to bring to you. You have a business need that you're trying to satisfy. Let's find a way to work together exactly. and be, have a profitable relationship together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and this is something that like, I always hone in on with people because I think that's something that it's a huge mental barrier. But once you can overcome that, you're going to find yourself to have much more success. So you already knew how to, host, you already knew how to call through your wholesale. Yep. Talk about the first rental arbitrage deal that you did. <laughs> Truth be told, the first phone call to my rental arbitrage landlord, I had a list of 30 properties that I, the numbers looked good enough that I could call and start getting the reps in and getting the practice. The first person out of 30 was my first yes. And it was ultimately the first property I went with. <laughs> it was quite a stark contrast from wholesale phone calls when you're talking to a seller to this. I was like, what? <laughs> um, but no, it was crazy. And it was the, it was really good. I got somewhat lucky, but it, it's also from my knowledge and experience and research. He was a previous Airbnb operator of this property. So he already did it. He already knew it could succeed. So he was open to somebody else taking over and doing what he already did. It worked out. It was the best phone call I could have made. And we just took it from there. I, he lived four hours away. The property was an hour and a half from me. And he said, meet me at the property if you really want to check it out and do this and do it tomorrow. You jump when there's an opportunity, you put everything down. If you really want to do this, you set everything up aside because you're trying to succeed at this. I was nervous. I, I'm, I'm making phone calls looking like I look. It's very easy for people to not know what I look like. So this is where my appearance comes into play. I made that drive. I went up there. His wife, his kids, his brother was there. 
And I was like, all right, this is it. <laughs> Let's see if I can do this. We had a great conversation. I went in with confidence because I had the experience of the wholesaling. I already had a career in tattooing where I had to be hospitable to my clients, retain my clients, convert those people, get on a relationship level, then professionalism. Also from my piano days, professionalism. That's what won out. And I was able to push those barriers, look them in the eye, have a good conversation and provide that value. And he went with it. And it was my first opening. <laughs> Congratulations on that. It's must have been, yeah, I think that self-confidence. Yeah. And that comes with, it's not just bravado, right? Mm -mm. I think it's a very hollow kind of confidence. It's the confidence of knowing that you've done this before and that you've done the research. Even if you haven't done something, but you've done the research, you prepared yourself for a meeting and you can walk into a meeting, a negotiation, anything. People sense that. Yep. If you're just like rolling out of bed or you went out the night before <laughs> in a meeting, like people notice that too. I think there's something where, you know, and, and I'm a, I'm definitely, this is something I've learned too. It's not just people won't say it to you actually, that if you're not well prepared, they'll just like, because we were polite. You're like, they're just like, yep. like be very polite and say, give you a compliment and then move on. It's not their job to correct you. Mm -mm. It's the people that care about you that will go to you and be like, Hey, Mike, hey, Van, I think you can do X, Y, and Z better. So if people give you feedback, it's actually from a place of love and <laughs> yes. not from a place of criticism. Yes. The, the, when people don't care, they're actually just never going to say anything to you and they're just going to give you like a platitude and you'll be on your way. And that's not, and, and fundamentally, that's going to help you. So that was your first property. And I guess just maybe walk us through the arc of your journey so far. Went through COVID and where, how did you scale and where are you now today? So it's fluctuated as you learn the markets. And that's what I say about that two to three window, uh, two to three year window, stick to something for two years in any kind of real estate market, any kind of finance, anything, because you'll see the waves and detect that pattern. We got our first property. It launched in October and we were on a high. It was just so cool that we had our first property and we knew what we were doing, knew what we were doing. <laughs> Air quotes there for people that can't see this. I got loud. I was in social media, in the communities that I was in, showing people what I was doing. And more people started sending deals to me because they saw that I was succeeding at something that they wanted to be a part of. So I got a couple of people that kind of wanted to team up. We started making more phone calls and we got two more properties in Minneapolis because that's where my partner at the time was stationed. So he was going to be my boots on the ground, eyes and ears, the go-to guy in the local area. Got to there and we just scaled as we went from that point forward. We started branching into other states because we learned that this is very possible to do virtually. You don't have to be uh, stationed in your backyard. I recommend doing that, but I also recommend you can do anything that you're comfortable with. There are pros and cons to both. <laughs> yeah, so short story, we got to about 14 properties. I've cut a couple of them just due to the situation and how they're performing, which is a great thing to know how to do. You're not locked into these things if you do your contracts and do your stuff correctly up front. So it's nothing permanent. And now we're down to nine, but we're adding four more. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Right? It's, so you went from one to four. How long did it, how long did it take for you to get to one to 14? October 2020, excuse me. 2020. When was your peak? So... Short-term rental started in 2021. I got to the peak about a year and a half into it. Okay. Yep. So a year and a half is like kind of April. Yes. Yeah, that was the peak. April 23. Okay. And then, so 
why didn't those properties? So you had four that you've let go yep. or uh, five that you let go. Excuse me. So tell us about maybe pick one or some, what are some general lessons on like, why didn't, why those didn't work out? And then we'll talk about how you've exited. Crazy. Sure. So very first property was the one that I uh, cut ties with first. I got a year long contract. And so when that year came to an end, we decided that we didn't want to renew. That was when I first got into this and I really didn't understand my numbers. I did what I could. We did a total profit of a hundred dollars after one year, <laughs> but say what? Oh, it was great. I'm happy about it though. And I want to encourage people to understand it. Don't do that if you can avoid it. And that's what we're here to teach. But the lessons and the experience on that one property was my ROI. That was the property that gave me that party. There was probably a hundred thousand dollars worth of damage in the entire neighborhood because of that party. And I had to figure out how to deal with that. <laughs> and it came out great. I wouldn't trade that for the world. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then I guess for the other four, were there any lessons from that? That you, Oh yeah. 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 So no, uh, one of the, one of the ones we decided to end on this became, so there's, I'll mention this three methods of short-term rental. There's rental arbitrage, there's co-hosting, and then there's ownership. The next few that we dropped were co-hosting opportunities, which is where the, there's an owner, a landlord, and we just manage the property for him. One of the properties, the landlord wanted to move his family into it. So he gave us a 30 day notice and said, Hey, my family's coming in from out of town. I don't want to do this anymore. This is my notice to you. Let's part ways amicably. It was great. No issues whatsoever. The other property we fired the landlord. <laughs> he was so over the top, so controlling, so nitpicky that we weren't able to do our job effectively to the degree that we knew we could, because he wanted to maintain too much control and that wasn't a good relationship. And so we couldn't continue. Got it. And, and thank you for bringing that up. Um, mm -hmm. Look, and I think there are a couple of points that I want to pull out here. I think one is that's a nice part about rental arbitrage or co-hosting. Co-hosting can just a fancy word for property management. Yeah. Managing a property on behalf of someone else for a fee. Mm -hmm. Now, versus buying a property where you're really married and locked into it. Yep. So that's where. So I think there's four. You know, in my mind, there's four levels to. It's a short-term rental. Okay. The easiest to start is co-hosting and you're going to agree with, I think you'll agree with this. First one is co-hosting, which is easiest to get started, lowest capital, but highest amount of work because you have to manage the guests and the owner of the property. Yeah. Right? So that's, second is rental arbitrage, harder to get into. You need a little bit more money to start, but it's easier to scale because you have more control, right? You mm -hmm. the property, you don't need to answer to someone. The third is when you buy like a turnkey property, yeah. which is, Hey, I buy properties already turnkey just means that it's already done for you. Yep. Fully renovated. It's all done. You go in, you furnish it, you put it on Airbnb and then it takes more money to get in. It's hard to scale, but you own the property. Yep. Last one is called this, what I call it, stir, like a stir versus a burr where you are buying a property that needs renovation. So you get to curate that property to yep. a really good short-term rental. Yep. And then instead of. Traditionally, you would rent out a long-term tenant, but then you actually Airbnb that. So yeah. you not only make money on the forced appreciation of, you know, a rehab, but then you also are earning like a real, a, a good cash flow or a much better cash flow than long-term rental. Yeah. And in a way it's really great because you, you get to customize that property to mm -hmm. that neighborhood, the way that you want to rent that avatar that you want. So there's that four. And I, we start, we did a few co-hosting deals and. I personally don't, that's so why I've never really been a proponent of co-hosting yeah. because of the exact issue that you brought up. Yep. 
<laughs> when I rent a property, the property manager or the owner, they don't, as long as I pay to rent on time and there's no issue, they never, and they don't want to, they don't want to talk to me. No. I don't want to talk to them. Nope. Send them a check, renewal, you're done. I've heard just so many co-hosting horror stories about owners that will view their listing every single day, yeah. ask you questions, call you, text you, go to their property and like, where's my pillow? Where's my <laughs> this doorknobs loose? And it's just the, the issue. It's not that it's hard. The issue is like, you only have so much energy in a day and time in a day. Yeah. And it just drains your battery. It does. Because you have to take those calls. You do. Mm -hmm. VA can't do that. You have to maintain that relationship. And it just sucks you dry. Yes. And you aren't able to focus on no. how do I actually build my business? You're just like managing like a needy person that they know they got you. And they just call you <laughs> just like, hey, why is my plate broken? I don't know, man. Yeah, it's a guest. <laughs> You're making all this money. Yeah, it's a guest. Like, <laughs> I, I totally understand. I have, as I said, I've experienced that. There is a way to actually vet your landlords like you would guests. And it's, you have to understand the avatar of landlord that you want. And you can, that's a boundary that you can set before you go into any deal. So when you get on the phone with somebody that's interested in the management aspect, you can just say no, just by understanding who they are. I've got five units that are co-hosted right now between two different people. And they don't ever come to me. I'm, they just leave me alone. They watch that the money I'm able to make them and they're very happy because I set that standard at the front end of the contract. And that's what I didn't do with the one that I had the fire. I was like, oh, shiny object, I got another deal. Yeah, give me the money. <laughs> I was like, no, this is not, I learned. I found a good one and I found a bad one. I was like, I never want a bad one again. <laughs> so I'm gonna stick to what happens when I find the good one. If you find the good ones, it's the same amount of management there is a perk to it because they are willing to work with you as well. When big items go south, I had to replace a water heater for 3,500 bucks at a property. The owner did it. <laughs> I was like, Hey, you want your rates to go up because people are complaining about this and you're getting bad reviews because of this one item. I can't change your listing unless you fix the problem. <laughs> so I was able to just shove it on them. <laughs> and it was not everyone wants to take a cold shower. No. <laughs> It, it, that's a great point, finding the right, and it's like finding the right landlord, even if you're doing rental arbitrage. Yes. You don't, yeah. want, to, you don't want to find a landlord that like the building is, there's so much deferred maintenance. Yeah. Anything. Because they might, in the contract, they might, it might say that they need to, but they don't, you can't really force them. And exactly. Kind of pickle. So always good to vet your, always good to vet your partners, right? Like yep. if you would vet a guest, vet the owner of a property, vet the landlord that you're working with for rental arbitrage. Yeah. So tell us about your portfolio. So you have nine today. So five co-hosts and then what are the rest? Five co-hosts, one officially owned and all that signed. There's four more coming in the property, in the position right now. And then, no, six co-hosts. I'm sorry, six co-hosts, two arbitrage, one owned right now with four in the pipeline for ownership. Perfect. Perfect. And talk, maybe talk to us about like how you've been able to, you started less than two years ago. Yes. And you and I, we connected through a mutual colleague yep. or a mutual friend, Kyle James, who actually will be on the show in a few weeks as well. No. But how did you like talk about how your network has helped you yep. with instructor rentals? Maybe just talk about how that's helped you with your business. So that's honestly one of the greatest secrets, which isn't a secret to all of this. If you display 
a level of confidence, experience, knowledge, and performance, and people are able to track and watch what you're doing, you will attract people to want to work with you. And my ability to do that, even with my appearance, numbers talk, experience talks, data talks. I don't have to go hunt for deals because people know when they come across a short-term rental deal, I'm the first guy they think of because I'm on the top of their mind just because of my networking and my relationship that I've built with them and the experience that I have to back that. Networking and getting loud is my secret sauce when it comes to obtaining these properties. I haven't made a single phone call for any of the last five or six properties that we have. They've been brought to me and I've said, yes, that's a deal. I'd like to work with you. Yeah. That's excellent. That's awesome. And then how did you find these, like, how did you find these communities that you joined? Funny enough, YouTube initially. Uh, it was YouTube from all those pop-up ads. If you go down in a, one of those rabbit holes, you'll start getting the algorithms of all the coaches, all the people doing these types of things. And through COVID, I've learned to decipher who's real and who's just wanting to get you to pay them for their coursework. It's just joining communities. How did you start deciphering? You're, look, you're obviously a very smart person. Mm -hmm. How did you, what was your filter on deciding, you know, who was real and who was, you know, less than real the people that were real were the ones that gave without asking for something in return they just gave freely there was no sales pitch there was no hey buy my course or you got to do this and this no this is how you underwrite this deal this is the property here's the address this is my numbers here's my math you actually learned the process from them and they didn't hide it that was authentic that's a that demonstrates actually the person that's oh, no pitching you <laughs> they actually have some knowledge on the space they're not just like the marketing person or yep. just the face of it they actually have they've actually gone through it they've actually have some subject matter knowledge they've got the bumps and bruises and and able to teach away and it teached away and we were talking before you you came on about the deficit in formal education mm -hmm. right and when you're an entrepreneur you learn a lot in school and you learn a lot, even professionally for me, you know, I learned a lot professionally. I learned a lot in school going to entrepreneurship. There's so much more that I didn't know. And in the beginning it was like, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of held myself back by thinking I knew these things and I could transfer the knowledge from corporate to here. And some did, sure. some didn't. And there is, I think one, like some humility mm -hmm. on people's part, like, being humble and being like, I, look, I, I don't know this. I, I need to learn this and I need to reach out for help. I think that's one big thing. And then two is like actually find the resources to do that. Yep. Maybe talk about that a little bit on your journey. What was something that you were like, oh man, like, I think I need to know this, but I don't know where to start. And how did you? That's a really great question. That there's a book on that. It's called Who Not How. And it's the old Henry Ford mentality. It's the fact that you don't have to know everything on the planet. You just need to know somebody that knows what it is you need to know <laughs> and make them do it. <laughs> that's the secret. And that's exactly, I learned that really quickly. When I made those cold calls, when I started into this, I knew that's what I had to do to gain that experience. But I learned very rapidly how much I disliked doing that. It just gave me anxiety. It's just not who I am. It's not what I'm, what I want to always do. I needed to figure out how to get people to bring what I need to me. And the only way for me to do that was to attract people by, by what I'm best at. I'm, they need what I offer, I need what they offer. So if I focus on myself, if I focus on my skills, my capabilities, the who come to me because I have a how that needs to be filled.
That's a great way to, that's a really great way to, way to frame it. And like, I'll put in my own words, like the way that I, like I apply those same comps that, yep. that you, that you just talked about for me, it's just, if I want a good at, and I think I can make, that's how I can maximize my value, my contribution to my business and society. And that's where I think I'll be rewarded the best mm -hmm. for my kind of unit of effort, my unit of time and the things are just not good at, like I don't like, or don't not good at. And I'm just going to, like to your point, you're going to find someone else that's like good at what you're not good at and loves what mm -hmm. you do. And then, then there's that trade, right? There's that trade of money or time or whatever that barter is. And then you're both better off yep. because you both get to do what you really enjoy and are better at. And I think for, for you and I, we work together on review management. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's something that you didn't love. Nope. <laughs> I don't like that at all. You're my who. <laughs> I mean, exactly. And it's been a pleasure to work with you and your team and mm -hmm. to generate good results for you and be able to help you reallocate your time. Yeah. And look, as we draw this con uh, conversation to a close, and I I've really enjoyed this. What's something that you want to tell people that are starting their journey or maybe feel like maybe you did, Hey, I have seven, I'm counting face tattoos. Like, <laughs> how do I actually do this into, like, how do I get to where I want to go when I think I have an impediment that's going to prevent me from doing that? What's some actual advice that you can provide? Actual advice that I can provide is one, first and foremost, imprint cement discipline your mentality to have delayed gratification you will not see that finish line. there's no finish line there is it's a journey and in two years it's going to be 100 percent different than what you thought it would be at the beginning two years before <laughs> just don't quit if the only time you quit and the only time you you fail is if you don't get back up if you're knocked down the world you're giving up the world will never you'll never lose if you always get back up Go through the saddlebacks. You're going to have great days and you're going to have really bad, deep, low days. You're going to disbelieve that this is real. You're going to feel like you're not getting anything done. But look at the fact that you're 10%, 20%, 30% further just because of the time you put into what you're doing than you were when you started. And you started for a reason. Even if that vehicle you're driving to that destination changes, that's fine. I was a wholesaler. Now I'm a short term rental operator. Not what I started in, but it's what I gravitated to. <laughs> and, and own five properties. That, 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 I own five properties for free, for free. I don't have a dollar into it in my name, and I got equity deals on all of them by doing nothing. But providing value and, and getting started. Now, that, that's great advice. Mm -hmm. Where where is a great place for if people want to reach out to you and learn more about your journey? What's the best? Where's the best place to reach? You? Oh, perfect. Yeah, I go by the Tatted Investor on Instagram. There's an underscore between padded the padded and padded investor two underscores <laughs> perfect and we, we i'll drop a perfect to vens mm -hmm. on the show notes so click on there give him a follow dm dm him with questions he's a great resource and then i really appreciate the time that you thank you today i always end the show with my traditional kind of my traditional question business is a journey mm -hmm. team sport we never get to where we are alone what's one of the kindest things that someone's done for you along the way just always giving me the opportunity. That's the kindest things that everybody always provides for me. They don't look at me. They allow me to authentically present who I am and look past the exterior, which is the point that I'm trying to make. Thank you very much for 
being who you are and, and, and sharing the journey. I, I think there, there's a lot of really great lessons in, in life and short-term rentals for the last 40 minutes. So again, appreciate your time and Thank you. look forward to having you back soon. That would be great. Thank you. <laughs>